Hi, it's David here. I'm taking a few days off from the Leader Coronavirus Daily, which is presented today by Joel Yu. Perhaps you could give her a nice warm welcome by subscribing and rating the show. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is the Leader Coronavirus Daily. I'm Joe Yule and it's official, school is out for summer. But could there be another way to get classes back on track? As you can imagine at the moment, we've just come back to school after after lockdown and the garden and the house and the grounds are in full bloom. We're doing lots of nature walks with the children. Steve Cottrell there, London's first forest school, where children learn in the great outdoors. And... It's very hard to know what the values are that can define a city as diverse as London. And that's the whole point. We have to have things in London that we don't all agree with. Associate editor Julian Glover, why he thinks it's wrong to pull down controversial statues. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is the leader, Coronavirus Daily. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, as London Mayor Sadiq Khan unveils a new commission to review and improve what he calls the diversity of London's public landmarks, we talk to the Evening Standard's very own Julian Glover on why even statues of people we don't like shouldn't be toppled. 
Only a small minority are getting anything like a normal rhythm of lessons online, and most of that minority are at private schools, which have the resources and incentives to provide them. The poorer your family, the less likely you are to be taught. The decision has left some parents up in arms, not to mention the children who had been looking forward to having a change of scene after lockdown. But should this move prompt a change in the way we think about educating children? Is cramming them all into one classroom really the best environment? London's seen its very first Forest Academy open, where pupils are given lessons outdoors. Steve Cottrell is one of the teachers. Steve... Tell me exactly how this works, because England is not really known for its gorgeous weather, is it? We've had uh, our first year open. We are a seasonal school, so we have been working from last September through to now. Through every season there has been, we adjust and we reflect on everything we do. We make the most of the seasons we have around us, and we, we use the seasons as key learning points for our kids as well. As you can imagine, at the moment, we've just come back to school after after lockdown and the garden and the house and the grounds are in full bloom. We're doing lots of nature walks with the children and yet we use the environment very much around us depending on what that environment is at any point. Yeah, I can hear them playing merrily in the background behind you and you spend 95% of your time outdoors with the children. How does that work for you exactly in terms of, you know, being in nature, potential distractions? I think in terms of it, rather than potential uh, distractions, it's, it's inspirations everywhere. And it's harnessing uh, the natural curiosity of the world around them that children have and using that as hooks into their learning. And regarding the weather, the philosophy is there's no such thing as bad weather. It's just bad clothing. So we very much in winter, we've all the staff and all the children have layered up. We've got um, robust outdoor clothing that we use so that when it's wet and muddy and cold, we still make use of the, the, the outdoor environment around us. I mean, yeah, and that's a very nice phrase that it's there, no such thing other than bad outfits uh, and bad planning and I guess be prepared or prepared to fail in terms of uh, the British uh, traditional weather. But, you know, there must be some sort of challenges that you've come up against other than just the weather of teaching outdoors. In the way that um, teaching children has its, has its joys and its challenges and it's how we, how we work together with the children and with the families and as a team, we, we harness the passions and the interests that children have and we... Uh, really involve them in um, planning where their learning's going. We really get the children involved in planning where they want their learning to go, really sparking off uh, personal passions and interests that they have. And while also then using our, our core spine of making sure we're developing those key skills of reading, writing, maths, personal and social skills, um, geographical, historical research, things like that, and how we, we really feed and weave those core skills into the interests and passions that children have. Next. Not an independent commission, although there's some talk historians will be invited on. Julian Glover on a commission that could change some of London's most famous place names. But is it a good idea? Monday, we saw the statue of slave trader Edward Coulston ripped down in Bristol and marched through the streets before being dumped into the River Avon, which caused a riot of reactions, ranging from why was that statue even still there 
to maybe we need to take a little look at which other statues may have passed their sell-by date. But can any statue be racist if all they really represent is history, a moment in time? And how can we decide who stays and who goes? In London, Sadiq Khan's ordered a commission to review not just the city's statues, but its street names and public buildings as well. Our associate editor, Julian Glover, is with me now. Julian. He's announced he's going to set up a commission which will have two of his deputy mayors on it. They're very well-paid deputy mayors. We don't often hear from them, uh, but clearly they'll do what he wants. It's not an independent commission, although there's some talk historians will be invited on. It's very hard to know what the values are that can define a city as diverse as London, and that's the whole point. We have to have things in London that we don't all agree with. Uh, One of the things that's obvious from real anger of some of the protests we've seen is that people feel we haven't come to terms with the history of our country, the slave-owning history of parts of our country's elite. And that's right. We should talk about it more. We should teach it. We should understand it. We should recognise the harm it did. It is going to be quite difficult if he goes ahead with this because there are things all over London that might fall into the net of his new commission. Sloan Square, for instance, quite a famous place in London. Well, it's named after Hans Sloan and He got a lot of money from plantations which had slaves on. Or if you go to the BBC and just outside, there's a statue of George Orwell. Now, I think almost all people would agree George Orwell, good guy, stood up against oppression, wrote 1984 in favour of freedom. Trouble is, when the BBC unveiled that statue in 2017, nobody pointed out that his great-great-grandfather was a slave owner and was given really generous compensation by the British government when he had to hand his slaves back as slavery was abolished. Does that mean that statue should go? Or what about the Tate Gallery? That's often come under fire because the Tate family, the sugar family, have their origins in the sugar trade, which hugely depended on slavery, the terrible oppression of human beings. Now, the Tate Gallery is very clear that Henry Tate, who funded the gallery when it was created in the 19th century, was only 12 years old when slavery was abolished, so he couldn't have owned slaves himself, and that's true. It's not a slave-owning gallery. But that name comes from a family with slave associations, so again, the commission might pick up on that. Now, these are things to debate, but I'm very uncomfortable at the idea that the mayor is going to somehow order people to change names and wipe out our history. Mahatma Gandhi got targeted in those protests the other day. There was kind of a a defacement of that particular statue and sort of, you know, wording to the effect that he was a racist. I mean, you know, what is the argument there? The great challenge is a lot of people protesting don't know the history of the things they're protesting about or the complexity because history is very difficult. Current life is very difficult. Human beings aren't simple. I don't like this simple categorisation of people into isms. You, you You were bad, you were good, you can stay you can go. Uh, Gandhi's story is, is a fascinating one. Uh, he, he was an incredible man, of course, an extraordinary individual. But in South Africa, where he was as a young man, his history is a little bit different to the way we see it here. Uh, that doesn't mean he was a racist and should not have a statue, but it might mean some people think he shouldn't have a statue. Rather difficult. Do we seriously think we shouldn't have a statue of Gandhi, or one of the greatest figures of the 20th century, one of the greatest people who shaped the end of the British Empire in London? Of course we should. If we uh, want to fill in the gaps, and we should, we need more statues of women in our city and not just the monarchs. We've a lot of Queen Victoria, not so many other women. Well, there's one woman the Commission might decide could be commemorated, and that's Margaret Thatcher, a great woman from our history. Does he plan to add a statue of her to London to offset the gender balance? The problem with starting this is you never know where it ends. It mostly ends in tears. It's part of 
and the concerns are genuine. I don't at all disparage people who feel very uncomfortable about some of the people we've remembered about Britain's role in slavery, which was pretty terrible. Although, of course, we also had a role in ending slavery before the United States did. It's very tricky to make things simple. And the danger of a commission is it trying to make a complex thing simple. The thing we need to do is to understand our history, teach it, explain it, educate people, debate it, because it's never a single point of view. It, it is important to understand our history. We have the Museum of Docklands, which is a very good museum in the east of London, currently shut, but hopefully open soon. That has a lot of history of empire. But one thing we don't do in Britain is have a single museum of empire anywhere, not to celebrate the empire, but to record it as an extraordinary part of human history over the last three or four hundred years with some tragic and terrible stories, but also life-changing stories. My family ended up in Australia because of the British Empire. Good or bad, we could debate that, but it's part of human stories. The empire is partly why London is such a diverse city. Many people came here from all over the world because of it and because of its legacy. We should be trying not to celebrate that legacy, definitely, but explain it and understand it. And that is the leader, Coronavirus Daily. You can keep up with all the latest COVID-19 developments with the Evening Standards live blog, which you'll find at standard.co.uk. And we'll also have some morning briefings for you available at 7am through your smart speaker. Just ask for the news from the Evening Standard. This podcast will be back with you tomorrow at four o'clock. We'll see you then. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.